links are there, and you'll be able to get hooked up. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. In Nehemiah 11, go ahead, grab the piece of candy. Go ahead. (laughs) Donna and Jeannie, look what you're doing here, right? Yeah. Nehemiah chapter 13. Okay, this is our last message in this Nehemiah series. And uh, we've been rolling through this. This is like three months in this book. And uh, just had that moment uh, in my living room where I felt like the Lord said, this is where I want you to go. This is where I want you to take the congregation. And uh, back in January, I had plans for something else and where we were going and what we're going to be doing. And I don't know if you've noticed, but some plans have changed kind of in recent history. In the last few months, things look different. And I really felt like the Lord wanted us to go into this book. And today we uh, land the plane, if you will, as we unpack this final message entitled uh, Preserve Holiness. So uh, five, six years ago, Brady and I were with some family in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you've been there. But uh, I went to a church service while I was on vacation, and I listened to this preacher talk about a certain item that someone ended up getting into their possession through an estate. An estate had closed. They received this painting. And little did they know what this thing was worth. They had this thing appraised. They find out that it is worth $350,000. Could you imagine landing on something like that? Think of the things you could do. You know, I mean, that, that would be quite a, quite a find, something that would land in your lap like that. But the gentleman that had this in his possession, he didn't have a lot of peace, though, about this painting because this painting actually was pornographic in nature. Now, some people may look at that and think it as, as that of, as art, but this man did not have peace in his spirit about what he should do with this particular painting. And so he invites his pastor over and he says, I need to know what to do. I don't want to do the wrong thing here. I mean, $350,000, think what we could do for the church. And, you know, you start to reason through that. And the pastor said, well, that's a lot of money. And I want you to go home and I want you to pray about what the Lord might be telling you to do with that painting. Well, not too long after... This man actually calls the pastor up. He says, I want you to come over because we're going to have a bonfire. And the guy torches a $350,000 painting. And he told his pastor, the reason why I'm doing this is that even though I could get a lot of money out of this, this item would go into somebody else's hands and it would become an idol for them. It would become something that I I don't see as godly. And so in order to to keep that holiness, we're going to just burn this thing. I mean, that to me, you imagine the the decision, the weight of that? $350,000. And that might seem shocking, but for him, holiness meant that much to him. And the definition of the word purge is an abrupt removal. 
And a bonfire sounds pretty abrupt to me, but it was time to get rid of this, this idol, this thing that the world views as so sacred. When I read this passage today, there's going to be some things that happen that are going to be a little bit uh, shocking. And you're going to be thinking, oh my, Nehemiah, take a chill pill, okay? But you're going to see how serious Nehemiah is about holiness. And so before we read this chapter, I want to pray because this is God's word. God speaks to us through his word. And so let's invite him right now into this moment. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you do speak to us through your word. And as we read from the scriptures today, I pray, Lord, you'd speak into our lives in a very powerful way. Lord, show us what it means to pursue holiness and to understand what that even means. Not just a churchy word or a word that religious people use, but to truly understand what you desire in our lives when it comes to being holy. We invite you into this time to speak to us. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah 13, starting in verse 1, if you have your Bibles with you, that's where we'll start. The verses will also be on the screen. The Bible says, On that same day as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said, No Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, though our God turned the curse into a blessing. When this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Now, Nehemiah is going to recall back to a moment where he came into Jerusalem and he began to purge Jerusalem of all the things they were doing that was sinful. So verse 4, before this had happened, Eliashib the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God and who was also a relative of Tobiah. Tobiah is bad news. We've read about him several times in this series. He is not a good guy. And here you have the priest letting him in to the temple. And he had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. And the room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priests. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. And when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple. I became very upset, and I threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct worship services had all returned to work in their fields. 
I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, Why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms. Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedaiah, one of the Levites. And I appointed Hanan, son of Zakur, and grandson of Madaniah as their assistant. And these men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Remember this good deed, O oh my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. In those days I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise, and they were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Jerusalem, or excuse me, to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. Wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening and not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. And I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice, but I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time that they came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, O oh my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. And about the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people that could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them, and I called down curses on them, and I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this awful or this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joiada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat the Hornite, so I banished him from my presence. Remember them, O oh my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign 
and I assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O my God. Now we're going to walk backward through this passage as we talk about holiness today. I want you to remember that these people who are doing all of these things in disobedience, earlier in chapter 10, they make that vow. We will be obedient to God. And they had even a list of things that they were going to do a better job of. We're not going to intermarry with the foreign people because they bring in these foreign pagan gods and and God wants us to be pure. There should be no other gods before him. And so God wants them to stay connected and marry within God's people. And they committed to that. They also committed, we're going to do a better job of taking care of the temple. We're going to put you first, God, and the first fruits of our harvest, the first fruits of what we, we have for resources, we're going to bring into the temple so that you guys can provide the services that are necessary for us to grow in our walk with the Lord. And they also committed, we're going to do a better job of remembering the Sabbath. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath, that day of rest, that day of worship. Remember it, keep it holy. We're going to do a better job of that, they claim in chapter 10. And so you see these three things here. The marriage issue, the observing the Sabbath issue, and the taking care of the temple issue. And a little time goes by and you see how this backslide takes place. And Nehemiah shows up and he's, I'd say maybe a little bit ticked off. I mean, I just read he was pulling people's hair out. <laughs> I know we kind of joke about that when we're frustrated, but this guy was angry. Right? I'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to break down what it means to be holy. Holiness. Like I said earlier, that can be kind of a churchy word, maybe a word that just it, it has some kind of meaning. We know that we should go after it, but what does that even look like? Holiness is a word that sometimes can make people feel uneasy. Can even, it can even seem lofty and, and even threatening. I know that sometimes I've heard it said, and maybe you have too, is that if somebody seems to be religious, then there's that phrase that's holier than thou. If you've ever heard anybody use that, sometimes we just don't understand holiness, and so we, we jump to things like that. Because I don't understand it, I, I just kind of, it's threatening to me. But the Bible is serious about holiness, and here's what holiness means. To be holy simply means to be set apart. God has called you to be holy. He wants you set apart from the world. He does not want you looking like the world. He wants you in the world so that you can bring people to Christ, but he does not want you taking part in the things of the world. And so when he says, I want you to be holy, he means I want you to be set apart. Stop acting like the world. The world loves sin. The world pursues their own desires, but I want you to pursue me. That's what it means to be holy. And I mentioned the Bible says God has called us to holiness. The Bible says we should strive for holiness. The Bible says that we should bring holiness into completion 
in the fear of God. We should fear God, and as a result of our fear, our reverence, our respect of God, we want to live holy lives. If there's a fear of God in your life, you should desire holiness. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, when I read this at the beginning of the service, the Bible says, Be holy in all of your conduct. It's not just a Sunday type of thing. Holiness should permeate into every area of our life. And 1 Peter says, For God tells us, You should be holy, for I am holy. That's God speaking right there. He is calling us to be holy. And I want to break down some characteristics in regards to holiness. And the first one is this. Holiness applies into every area of your life. You should bring this into every area. I just read from 1 Peter. Be holy in all of your conduct. Not just some or in this area or that area. In all of your conduct, be holy. In verse 30, Nehemiah says he purged everything. Everything that should not have been there, Nehemiah went down the list, and he took care of business. Holiness applies to every area of our life. Another aspect of it is holiness impacts those around us. And the lack of holiness impacts those around us. And that's actually what you see here Verse 24, he says, Half the children spoke the language of, of these foreigners, and some of them couldn't even speak the language of Judah at all. So he confronted them, he called down curses upon them, and then he beat some of them and pulled their hair. I mean, when you read that, isn't there just a little bit of a shock factor? Like, man, this guy's a little ticked off. I mean, if I was a friend of Nehemiah, I'd be like, Hey, dude, maybe just take a second, breathe a little bit. Okay, maybe you had a bad morning, I don't know, but like, don't pull people's hair out, that's a little extreme. That's how I read that, that's my reaction to that. One commentary I read is the point of ripping the hair out is they're now bald, and that's a sign of disgrace. And please keep your comments to yourself right now (laughs) in that regard. But Nehemiah's reaction here might cause us to be shocked a little bit. And I want you to keep this in mind. Nehemiah was a godly man, but he's not perfect. Okay? He's not perfect. And we also, though, we need to keep in mind that this man was the governor. He was the governor. He held this position of authority, and he carries a responsibility to bring about punishment if it's necessary. An intermarriage may not seem like a reaction or a, a, something that would justify a reaction like this, but understand what was at stake as these people were intermarrying. Think about this. Marrying foreigners brought in their detestable religious practices. For example, witchcraft. Okay? Fortune-telling. Consulting the dead. Taking things even a step further Some of the things that were brought in to the nation of Israel because they married foreign people was child sacrifice, where they would burn children in a fire as a sacrifice to these pagan gods. 
Now, all of a sudden now, this seems pretty serious, doesn't it? I mean, you understand what's at stake if you show up and these people who said, we're not going to do this anymore, and then they do it, you'd show up and you'd be a little angry. There'd be a righteous indignation. Don't you realize that your decision affects people around you? He's ticked. And I think you could see why when you realize that this could very well take the lives of innocent kids because you couldn't listen to the Lord. Our decisions don't just affect us. They affect our family. They affect the people around us. They affect your calling. All of us have a calling. All of us have a ministry. There's a reason why God created you. You do not have to be a pastor to be in ministry. You all have a ministry. You all have a calling on your life. And sometimes our decisions and our our lack of concern in regards to holiness, it will affect your ministry. It will affect your legacy. It impacts those around you. Another characteristic of holiness is it's preserved by guardrails. If you're driving down the road and you see a guardrail, most often a guardrail is up on the road where it's still safe. Okay? They don't put guardrails all the way down where it's dangerous. They put it all the way up where it's safe. And so sometimes to preserve holiness, we have got to put some guardrails in place for our life. For example, these people were no longer observing the Sabbath. They bring all these merchants in on the Sabbath. They all start selling stuff. They're not supposed to be doing this. And so Nehemiah shows up, and here's one thing he could have he done. Guys, stop. Stop selling that. You know, go back to observing the Sabbath, and we're done. He could have just left it at that. But in verse 19, the Bible says that he then commanded that the gates of Jerusalem would be shut at the start of Sabbath and don't open them back up until the Sabbath is over. He knew these people needed that extra measure. And it's proven because in the very next verse, you see guys showing up still. And they're camping out outside the gate like, when's he going to open? You know, i got stuff to sell. And he comes out like, did you not get the point? None of this on the Sabbath. And so he puts these guardrails up, and he even says, I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates. There's a responsibility that he took in order to implement this. And I just want to say something in regards to guardrails. If there's an area of weakness in your life, there very well could be a need for guardrail. And you've got to take ownership in that area. Nehemiah said, I sent my own servants to do this. And if there's an area in your life that, that needs holiness, it's lacking in that area, you've got to do something about it. You have to take ownership. It's not your responsibility for the areas that I might be struggling in. I've got to take ownership of that. And I've got to have some guardrails in my life that keep me from stumbling, and you do as well. Verse 22, he also ordered the Levites to guard the gates in order to preserve 
holiness. The point of guardrails is to preserve it, to make sure you don't take a step in a direction that you know you shouldn't. Let's face it, we're all prone to wander. I mean, I could ask by a show of hands, how many of you ever sinned before? Everybody's hands should go up, including mine. We all make mistakes. We're all prone to wander. Guardrails are designed to keep us from stumbling. Back in November, we had a guest speaker, Larry Sikora. He does prison ministry down in the Cedar Rapids in Iowa City area, and he shared his testimony of how he came to know Jesus. This was a guy that was living a pretty wild lifestyle. He and his wife did a lot of drinking, and just God was not really a part of the picture. And all of a sudden, this guy gets saved. And he's like, well, now what? What do I do? And for him, the Holy Spirit convicted him, you need to do something about the alcohol in your life. So he goes home. He had just bought like $800 worth of booze. And he goes home, and he takes it all out, and he puts it in his garage. It's out of the house. And he goes in, and he gets, gets his Bible out, and he starts reading. And his wife comes home, and she's not saved yet. You imagine pulling into the garage, and you see just a bunch of, of booze in the garage. What's he, what's he up to? She walks in, and there he is reading his Bible. And she goes, what is wrong with you? Are you crazy? just doesn't understand what's going on in my husband's life. Well, as he continued in that testimony, his wife eventually got saved also, and the Lord calls them into ministry. But for him, his conviction was, I need a guardrail in this area because I'm weak in this area. I know I can't just have one or two. I'm going to end up going somewhere where I know the Scripture is clear, drunkenness is sin. And so for him, that meant purging it, even though it was $800 worth of alcohol. Get it out of the house. And there's things in our life that maybe we need to consider a purge. You know, for some, the, the crutch might be booze. For others, it might be pornography. You know, there's a variety of things in our life that we need guardrails set up. And if there's an area of weakness, you have to take responsibility to set those up. You've got to take ownership of that and build those guardrails. Another characteristic of holiness, holiness suffers when worship is neglected. Verses 10, 11, and 12, it talks about how the Levites, they're not being given what they need to conduct the services, so they go back to working in their fields. These people are neglecting God's house. And Nehemiah even calls them out in verse 11. He says, why has the temple of God been neglected? Why has this happened? Because here's the thing. If God is first in your life, what that translates to is God's house will also take some priority here. And they're neglecting it. And when worship is neglected, what happens is, You get casual about your worship, you'll get casual about holiness, you'll get casual about sin, and you'll start backsliding. It'll happen every time. You know, through this whole COVID season, right now we're in the dog days of summer. Okay, it's easy to kind of get lax. Plus, we have COVID brain right now. 
which is just like, it seems like any decision we make, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, we have VBS. What's VBS? You know, we've done it every year. I don't understand. So we've got this kind of scatterbrain. And what happens is, is people start neglecting one of the most important things, and that's worship. We get so caught up in all the stuff that's going on around us. We worship, or we neglect worship, and then things start to suffer because of that. You know, what's interesting is Barna just did a study. They pulled some, some Christians, and they found that during this whole COVID season, one-third of Christians have completely checked out from worship. It's like, this all happened, and I guess at that point it doesn't really matter. And what it really did is it revealed the people that were truly engaged or not. But you think about these online ministries and, and churches that have opened up their buildings, and you're like, a third of these individuals have completely checked out. They're not even tuning in online. They're neglecting what it means to worship. And I'm telling you right now, the, the, the natural occurrence is they're also backsliding. They're making decisions that God is not pleased with. And so it's important for us to lean in even in the midst of the summer and the crazy and the COVID and all that kind of stuff. We lean in. We're thankful for that online ministry. It's a blessing for those who truly do need to stay home because of COVID. It's a blessing to those that we're trying to reach out to who may not want to step into our building. Look, I know the word on the street. People think we're crazy. It's true. Because we love Jesus. Like, that's so foreign. But our world, that's so set apart, they're just like... But in the midst of that, some of them are truly interested in what's going on out here. And the online ministry allows them to engage. And then they hear God's word and they realize that we're really not crazy. Well, I am, but I mean, you guys aren't. And so we're reaching people people that we never would have reached before, and we're thankful for that. But one thing I want us to be careful about in regards to our online ministry is that it doesn't cause us to go, that's pretty convenient. I think I'll just stay home. You're going to get casual. You neglect worship. Be very careful about that. We must not neglect Worship. The last characteristic in regards to holiness is it must never be compromised. We should never compromise holiness. This guy, Tobiah, I said he's a not a good dude. He shows up, right? He, he goes to the priest, and the priest opens up a room for him that was used to glorify God. This room is now given over to Tobiah at his disposal. And in verse 8, Nehemiah says, I became very upset and I threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. And then he demanded that the rooms be purified and he says, I brought back the articles for God's temple. What's interesting here, a room that was once glorifying God, the enemy sneaks in, takes possession of that room. And then Nehemiah shows up and releases the enemy 
and that room can be used to glorify God once again. You know, God created humanity for a relationship. Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, they were perfect. But then they fell into sin, and the curse of sin comes into the world. And what happens is, is it separated them from that fellowship and that relationship with God. So that relationship they had that was once glorifying, it's they've handed it over now. And sin enters the equation, but I want you to know something. The God I know is one of redemption. And he can redeem any situation and bring the glory, his glory, right back in where it was stolen. And so what that means is if there's any area of our life that we struggle in, when we lift that to the Lord and we say, this is an area I need you to have your way in because I'm not doing very well on my own, is God will redeem that if you give it to him. God will help you if you ask for his help. And I want us to think about the situation with Eliashib, the priest, and letting Tobiah into this room. Real quick, how did Tobiah get in? What was his card? He was a relative. So he had this connection. Okay? He was family. The root word of family is a Latin word, familia. And that word actually is a word we, we get our word familiar. And for us, people who are born sinners in need of redemption, sin is our nature. It's a part of our DNA. We're prone to wander. We're prone to make mistakes. We're prone to screw up. That's familiar to us. And so we sometimes give in to what's familiar, and before you know it, we've given up a whole room, if you will. I want us to think about our, our homes for a second. In Brady and I's house, I don't mean to embarrass you, Brady, but you're like, what are you about to say? We have a room that if people came over, we probably wouldn't open that up and be like, look at this. See all that clutter? You know, I think we've got a roll of linoleum we've had in there for three years. We've got a broken TV, just haven't thrown it away yet. We've got all kinds of toys, all kinds of toys. I mean, this room is, is clutter central, okay? I know you guys don't have a room like that in your house, okay? It's just us. But if people come over, we'll show them all the rooms, right? Except for that one. That one that's got all kinds of stuff in there that we're just, that's not for company to see. And I want you to think about your own life as a house. We've got all these rooms, and we'll show people this room, and we'll show people that room, right? And look at this. Look what I've done over here, and look at this accomplishment and, and that accomplishment. But then there's, there's this room right back here that we won't let anybody see because we've let the enemy get access to that room. Go back to that word purge and abrupt removal. I think God would want you to clean some house if there is an area that is not under his submission. At the very beginning of this chapter, we talked last week, this Thanksgiving Day parade that Macy's doesn't have anything on 
right? They were so thankful, and they're walking around this wall, and they're praising God, and they go from this parade right into the temple. They begin to worship, and then when I start this chapter, it says, and on that day, they open up the word, and they read a verse that says, these foreign people, do not associate with them, and do not let them into your assembly, and they act immediately. Verse 3 says, when this passage was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded. And in the midst of that, think about that for your own life. Is there any area that God wants to take care of and do business with? And as you lift that to the Lord, I encourage you to do that abruptly. Don't let that linger. Take care of business. 2 Timothy 2.21, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If there's an area, ask the Lord to cleanse it. Ask for his forgiveness. But understand this. You've been created to glorify God. And so as we pursue a life of holiness, understand that the reason why God wants you to be holy is because then you become more effective for him in the kingdom. He says, be holy as I am holy. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture today. As we look into this moment in history in which Nehemiah, out of his care and concern for the holiness of your people, he purged everything out so that these people could live holy again. Lord, I ask that you would help us to live lives that are holy as you've called us to holiness. Help us to strive for it, to pursue it, to preserve it. And understanding that as we live to be holy, we become more effective for your kingdom. That's what life is all about, is seeing people come to know Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. Help us to be involved in your kingdom. Lord, help us to surrender any area of our life, if there's that room, so to speak, that, that we're still holding on to, that's got things in there, Lord, that we know we need to take care of, help us today, Lord, to come to you and confess that and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, your word says that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I read from your word a moment ago that you want to be the master of the house. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that you're not the master of their home right now. But maybe there's something today that is drawing you to receive the Lord into your life to be the master of your home. If you desire that today, I want to lead you in this prayer of salvation. 
to receive Jesus into your life. Simply pray with me this in your heart. Say, Jesus, today, I ask that you'd have your way in my life. Please cleanse me from sin. Please change my life. Make me new. And help me to live for you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for what you did for me, dying on the cross so that I might be set free from sin. And today I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps someone that is listening right now prayed to receive Christ, to to receive that salvation in your life, and we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. We have a resource that's called Now What? If you're here in the building, these are available at our welcome desk. They come with a free Bible. This is a gift to you as you take the next steps in your spiritual journey. And if you're watching us online, you can go to faithccpalmer.org forward slash now dash what. There's an electronic copy of this resource and you can access it at that link and there's also a way that you can request a free Bible on that particular